0: morning, everyone. My name is Amy Winkle. As Beth mentioned earlier, I am um, serving currently as the priest in charge while Jenny is on maternity leave. So it's a great blessing to be here with each one of you, um, just that we get to celebrate together um, and walk through Advent together. So this is um, just a, such a, a meaningful time of year that we get to spend together. Um and and we get to like kinda re enter every Sunday and, and invite it into to new spaces um that Advent is calling us into as we as we're waiting. Um in a time of waiting for, for Jesus. Um we're looking back to his first coming and also looking forward to his second coming. And also asking, How are you meeting us right now, Jesus? And so this is the invitation that's before us. And as we're sitting um, in this season of Advent, we're also sitting in the book of Isaiah. And so we started um, in Isaiah last week, in Isaiah chapter 2. And we're going to continue in that um, the next couple of Sundays. And then also, as Beth mentioned as well, kind of diving in a little deeper on, on two Tuesday, the next two Tuesday nights. So um, it's a great blessing. I love this book very much. It um, has so much imagery that we that it just gives us such... Big pictures of the kingdom of God. And so we looked at uh, Isaiah 2 last week where we saw um, God lifted up on the mountain and the people coming to him and the word of God and the instruction of God going forth. Um, And it was such a beautiful picture to get to sit with. And so, again, our, our passage for today, again, like, lays out some really great imagery for us of what the kingdom of God looks like. And so, as we read together, um, I just invite you just to pay attention um, to, the, to the images that are, that are in this passage and what, what kind of stirs in your heart as we read it. So, we're going to be in chapter 11, verses 1 through 10 this morning. So, let's read together. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse... And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge what, he, what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. A cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him. And his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So um, just looking again at this idea of the kingdom of God, like we said, and what it's telling us about um, how that kingdom comes about and how it's manifested. So we talked a little bit last week about uh, this context that we're in, this larger context in the book of Isaiah, that these passages that we're looking at um, on Sundays are all within the ver- the very first section of Isaiah. Isaiah itself breaks down into three different sections: kind of post, I mean, sorry, pre-exile, then when uh, Israel's sitting in exile, and then uh, the post-exile when they start to come back to the land. And so this is the the first section where um, nothing's happened yet, so to speak. But Isaiah's coming to the people. And giving them warnings to say, you're not living like you're meant to live as the people of God. You're not living correctly and, and, and rightly in your relationship with God. And you're also not living correctly or rightly with each other in your relationship with each other. And, if, and so basically he's saying, if you're not going to live up to the, to the commandments, to the, the law, to the covenant that we've made together, then you have to leave the land. Um, that's what was set out in, in Deuteronomy. And so that's the warning of the prophet to say kind of warning, 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 right? Like um, you need to like change your ways, come back to the Lord, let the Lord like walk with you and be his people um, so that you can stay in the land. But if you don't, you're going to lose the land. And so, um, but also like we talked about last week, there's this sense of it's not just all warning, warning, warning. There's a lot of that in this part of the book. But there's also these great visions that come out of it. To say, let me show you what this is supposed to look like. Let me show you what it's meant to look like if you are living with me and walking with me and and walking rightly with one another. And so we get these great visions um, that kind of go forth from Isaiah to say, here's what it's meant to look like and what it's supposed to be like. And so we get another one of those here in chapter 11. So what's happened just right before we get to chapter 11 and chapter 10 is a warning has gone out. And basically what the prophet has said is that um, if Israel doesn't change its ways, it's going to get, like, torn down, basically. And the image that's given there is of these great forests and the trees just being cut down to nothing. And then it, it also gives, like, a warning to Assyria, which is the, um, the the nation that came in and took out the northern tribes to say you're also going to get mowed down, so there's lots of mowing down, lots of destruction that's happening. Trees are just being cut down left and right, you know, um, and so there's it's like a lot of waste basically. Um, and so what we see when we get to chapter 11 is this idea of a stump. So basically, something that is dead has been cut down, destroyed, no longer viable. It's just there. And yet, what is seen in the stump? A shoot. A shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse. Huh. Interesting. Thought it's supposed to be dead. How can there be a shoot coming forth out of it? What is it meant to be telling us? think that what that shoot is saying to us is there's still hope, even in the midst of destruction. Even in the midst of the land being laid waste, the story's not over yet. Yahweh's not finished yet. There's, there's still hope to be found. And this is kind of like a do-over. So we see that it's the stump of Jesse, right? Why Jesse? Jesse is the father of David, King David. Now, if, um, if you were reading along in, with the Daily Office kind of earlier this fall, we went through First and 2 Kings. Whew. I don't know. We sat in the first and second kings for a while. And the kings were not doing very well. I mean, every once in a while you get a good, good king um, who's doing what they're supposed to be doing in the sight of the Lord. But most of the time, the kings are just doing what they feel is right um, and doing evil in the sight of the Lord, taking advantage of the people, being um, taking advantage of their power in ways that, that is good for them but not good for everyone else around them. And it's to these kings that, um, that Yahweh's coming and saying, this is not okay, this is not right. So this shoot coming up from the, out of the stump of Jesse is a way to have a do-over. It's a way to say, we're going to go back, even before David, to his, to like, and to start this thing over again. It's like the light that comes out of a candle in the midst of darkness. Sometimes it's all you can see, but at least you know it's there. That's, how, that's what this shoot is like. It's not big. It's not overpowering. Um, it's just a small shoot, but it offers a sense of hope that there is light to be found in the midst of darkness. So what chapter 11 is kind of laying out for us is what this do-over looks like. What is this new king going to look like um, who's going to rule and reign over Israel and Judah? Not like the kings before that are leading them into destruction, but one that's going to bring peace and equity. So what does the new king look like? It tells us that he will have the spirit of the Lord upon him, that he will have wisdom and understanding that comes from that spirit. Also from that spirit comes counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord. So when we think about just like our our typical idea of a king, how how does this line up with it? And maybe how does it even line up with the kings that, that have been ruling over Judah and over and over Israel during this time? Not maybe a sense of so much talk of power and dominion as we might expect with a king. But instead, it sounds more like the picture that we saw last week um, of God on the mountain being the God who's instructing, who's teaching, who's mediating between the people. There's a sense of... Um, of calmness almost, like a sen- and obviously um, living over a sense of peace, a peace of the kingdom that's happening. There's something about it, and just like that, calling out this sense of it, coming out of the spirit of the Lord being upon him, that makes me think of the fruit of the spirit, right? Like we go to the New Testament and think about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. This is what the spirit looks like. And I think that's kind of what it's saying here as well, that there's this sense of, of wisdom. There's a sense of equity. That is, this king does not judge based on appearances or outward signs like our nature would tend to do, right? To want to, like, make judgments based on what we see and what we hear of a person or of a situation. But instead, this judge is interested in equity, of setting things right? That it's not just about power and who has the most stuff, but instead it's about how we live peaceably with one another. So that's the first thing that we see in this new king, but it doesn't stop there. The passage continues on, and it tells us something else about this king, that this king is also going to be a child. Now, as we move into this next section, what we see is all this discussion about animals, Animals that are, like, you know, coexisting in ways that they don't in our normal world. That this hostility and strife that we see in our world today, this sense of needing dominion or power or destruction um, over one another just so that we can, like, build up all that we can. We even see in the, ke- the animal world of, like, animals, you know, fighting and, and eating one another is not going to be found in the, in the kingdom of God. But instead, wolf and leopard, lion and bear will be tamed in such a way that they can live peaceably with the kid and the lamb, the cow and the young. Domination and fear and violence will no longer be the law of the land. But instead, a small child will lead them. Now to me, this is like... The most compelling part of this—this this, um, just like the imagery of a child. So, I, like, let's just think about it for a minute. Now, when you think, like, think of a child that you know in your life or around you, and imagine what it would be like for them to lead you. <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy thing to think about. Um, it would be slow. It would definitely not be efficient. I love my kids, but they are not efficient. And they would tend to notice every detail, mainly ones that we don't even see as being important. I remember hearing, like years ago, uh, author Anne Lamott was talking about when her son was young, um, probably like two years old, and he would drive her crazy just trying to get his shoes on and get him out the door. Um, and that they were like, get out the door. She's like trying so hard to get him to go somewhere. And he, all he wants to do is look at the flowers. And like, finally she just got to a point where she was like, let's just look at the flowers. Why not? So what is this connection between a child and the kingdom of God? We see Jesus make this connection in Luke 18 when the disciples are telling them to keep the children away from Jesus, right? We don't have time for that. That's that's not an efficient use of our time, and these children, like, don't necessarily have, you know, they don't don't need to take up Jesus' precious time. But Jesus called for them, and he said, Let the children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Man. That throws the kingdom of this world on its head. Vulnerability, no longer it becomes a liability, but instead it becomes the leader. And so we see here, like, this sense of being led by a child, a child who's so open to the world, open to a sense of wonder, open to, like, all the possibilities, right? Um, it doesn't have a need to protect itself. It doesn't have a need to, um, to like, try to, like, make itself better than than another this sense of vulnerability is what is leading the, in the kingdom of God. And also, too, as we continue through the passage, we see that there are more children represented. Um, two more kids are, are mentioned in here, and there's a sense of playfulness also that's, be, that's, that's given here, that playfulness is the norm, that it, without a sense of fear or of, of harm or repercussion, that the child, children are able to kind of play freely in ways that where they don't have to be afraid, but they can explore and do things, do, try new things. Um, even like, you know, put their hands in, in adder's dens, whatever that means. Um, but and like over the holes of snakes, you know. Not something that we would consi- like actually want our kids to do now. Basically saying that it's, there's not a threat in the kingdom of God, but that play is a good thing and it's encouraged. So Pastor Mandy Smith says in her book, Unfettered, if you, if you want a good read, you want to read like that will mess with you, here you go. It says, Unfettered, the, the byline is, imagining a childlike faith beyond the baggage of Western culture. So it's, I, I commend it to you. But she says this, the only thing Jesus really talked about was God's kingdom, the place where a reign of peace is possible. He invited humans, fettered by reigns of domination, discord, and scarcity, to imagine the possibility of power without abuse. It seems to me that if we really longed for such a place, we'd hang on every instruction Jesus gave for how to get there. He did give a clear instruction, be like a child. The invitation to become like children is so preposterous that we dismiss it without a thought. Being a child is never the way to important things. So we ignored Jesus' way and set about finding our own way in the kingdom, which, which amounts to taking the kingdom by force. Although we want a place without the abuse of power, we work to get there through abuse of our own, our own small power. Our well-intentioned pursuit of God becomes a hunt. Our attempts to grasp him turn into domination. We're surprised when our efforts fall flat that God just seems powerless and his kingdoms feel like a farce. Because how we do things cannot be separated from what we're trying to do. What if the door to the kingdom is so small that all our efforts to puff ourselves up to be good enough to enter actually disqualify us instead? The reality is that Becoming like a child is the way of Jesus. Jesus could have chosen to come in any way that he wanted, and he chose to come as a baby. Philippians 2 tells us, he did not consider equality equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he took on the form of a servant, and he came as a baby, as a child. He came into the darkness of night, into a small village in Israel, not born in the halls of power, and yet, he leads his people out of slavery. So, um, one of my favorite movies this time of year is called The Nativity Story. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but um, it's 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 done pretty well, actually, for a Christmas movie as far as, like, getting into the context of, like, what first century culture looked like, probably, in Judea. In, in Judea. Um, but it has, you know, it has its Hollywood moments. But there's one, um, like, part, like, where Jesus is actually born, and so Mary and Joseph are there together, and you see Jesus born. And like I said, this is kind of one of those Hollywood moments where it's like they're in this cave, and the light comes in right on Jesus right as he's being born. We don't know if that happened, but, <laughs> but it's good cinematography. But the, what's so compelling about this moment to me, every time I see it, and like I said, I watch it every year, and it just, like, hits me every time. This light comes in, and there's this close-up of this baby, and it just is so absurd, Because you look at the baby and you're like, that is God. What in the world? Like, how in the world did this happen? How did God choose to come as a baby? How did he choose to be that vulnerable? To, like, choose to be taken care of by his own creation? To choose to rely on those people that he had created to feed him, and nourish him, and grow him, and, and teach him what it means to be human. Like, the vulnerability of that, like, why would God choose to do that? He could have come any way that he wanted to, and he chose to come as a baby. And so there's the vulnerability of it, but then, I, then there's also the playfulness of it. Like, I wonder, have you ever just imagined what it was like when Jesus was a boy growing up in Nazareth? playing with the other kids. I mean, I know our Bibles don't really give us much insight into that, but I think we can imagine it. Like, Jesus was a regular kid. He played like all the others. And I wonder how that idea of Jesus playing, that sense of playfulness, um, actually modeled to us something about God. Because I don't think it's a coincidence that the only humans that are mentioned in this passage of Isaiah are children but I think that they are showing us something about God and about the playfulness of the kingdom of God. And so I want to read a quote from J.K. Chesterton. Chesterton. That is so hard to say. Um, That gives us this image of God, and we'll, we'll put it up on the screen for you too. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. Perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Isn't that such a beautiful picture? So what if Advent is a time where we're invited to remember our state as the children of God? I think it goes well together that the second candle of Advent is faith. And that our passage today highlights children. That the faith of children is one that we can seek to emulate. That's what Jesus called us to do. It's the way into the kingdom of God. The ability to believe even when things don't make sense or when they don't add up. The ability to trust that it's not all up to them, that they truly are in the care of another. And we were talk, I was talking after the last service, just that idea of I don't have to take care of myself, that, there's, that the Lord takes care of me. is something that over the last year I've really been sitting with. And it's hard because when I like sit with it, I'm like, do I really trust you to take care of me? And the answer a lot of time is, I really don't. So what is the invitation there? To say that God wants to take care of us, that he wants us to trust him as, as our father, our good father, who gives us good gifts. How might God be calling us to be children in his kingdom this Advent as we look to the birth of Jesus, what does it look like for us to seek that sense of childlikeness child that he calls us to and see God in his playfulness, see God in his creativity, to take time, like we said, like the little kids, and sm- to even notice and smell the flowers. Like, that's God's creativity right in front of us that so many times we might miss. I mean, like, all the fall colors right now, good gosh. I just drive around in my car, and I'm like, praise you, Jesus. Like, this is just, uh, this is magnificent. Like, can we, like, live into that creativeness and playfulness of God as a way of seeing the kingdom of God coming toward us and expecting this sense of restoration, this sense of peace and wholeness that will be ours at the end of days? May it be so, Lord. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you adopt us into your family through your son, Jesus Christ, that you are your, our father and that we are your children. I pray, God, through the words of Isaiah, and through this season of Advent, that you would give us visions of your kingdom and visions of what it means to be part of your family, that we are loved by you and cared for by you, that you take delight in us, and that you invite us into that playfulness with you. You invite us to to slow down and to, to just take wonder in the world around us. And so, Lord, I just pray for us just that you would lay on our heart what that means for us today, to be faithful followers of you as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.